Hey, what's his Skype? I don't have it. Is he going to be here for this? I hope so. I hope so. <laughs> I, do. I sure hope so. Welcome to episode 177 of Texting, hosted by myself, Justin Vincent, and Jason Roberts. On today's show, our very special guest is Dan Southworth, who is a stuntman, a quantum ranger, founder of the web series Divergence, and last but not least, Jason's friend. First of all, he's not a quantum ranger, he is the quantum ranger. It's like, it's like saying you're a Batman. <laughs> what the hell is that? <laughs> I didn't even realize that there was there was only one quantum ranger. It, it sounds like a plural. What kind of show are we running here? All right. <laughs> yeah. So uh, let me get a little back little background here, and then we'll we'll dig into it. So um, Dan, thanks for first of all, thanks for coming on the show. It's really cool to have you. Well, here. let me just say let me just say to Justin that all cars are all cars can be Fords, but not all Fords are cars. <laughs> ah. Okay. Fair enough. Right. That's right. So. Um, Let's see. Let me go back. Now, how did we meet? We, Dan and I first met, I'm thinking like 1997, 6 97. And that's about right. Yeah. That's right. Now, we, that's when I moved in with you and three other stuntmen, Carlton, Mitch, and Billy Wong. Yeah, that's right? correct. And, and Mitchell Gould. Yeah. And that's an experience everyone should experience is live with four stuntmen in one house here. <laughs> <laughs> you have that stories. A lot of you have many stories. So we moved in together. Are you already living there? No. Wait a minute. How'd this work? I I was living in this closet of a bedroom. We kicked someone out. Then I took another bedroom, and you took my old room. That's right. Something like that. Right. And so you you were friends. You and you and I are both friends with Mitchell. Mitchell and I grew up together in Atlanta. And after right. and Mitchell moved out to. LA for college and stayed there and, and became a stuntman of all things. And, and that's how he and I met. We met training in the same facility where a lot of stunt people train. Stunt people and stunt actors or action actors, whatever you want to call it. Right. And you guys <laughs> are all both like martial artists slash gymnasts slash stuntmen, that kind of thing, right? Is that probably... Yeah, that's pretty good description of what we do. <laughs> so, so, so in the movies when you see these people flying around doing these Hong Kong twists and these kind of Jackie Chan kind of stuff... That's the kind of stuff that uh, you and Mitch do. That's Mitch, Mitch and I worked for one of Jackie Chan's choreographers for quite a while, helping him build his directing career. Oh, that's that, what we, that, uh, that was uh, Andy Cheng. Okay. And that's what we did. We're, of course, off in writing and producing our own shows now. Um, right. And, and moonlighting as stuntmen. Right. You still got to pay the bills. It's like even us, like when we're launching startups, we're still doing consulting work. You know? I think... We're still yeah, I think the action, just the action and the activity is fun. I mean, I was climbing around uh, at 70 feet up in the air um, inside this uh, warehouse yesterday, and, and I found it strange that, that I still dug it. <laughs> <laughs> I was still sort of getting off on the rush of being up there and rigging, you know, and I've got wires attached to me so that if I fall, I don't die. <laughs> no, how, how old are you now, Dan? 38. So we Holy met when I was, I was, how old was I? I was 24, 25 when we met. Yeah, and I was about 27. So that, yeah. And so when we, while we were living there, one of the things that we did um, that I think plays into this, the story that we're going to go into today about your web series um, is that 
we shot a two-minute fight scene using a high 8 video camera. And high 8 for people who don't know, is like, so you had those old VH- VHS cameras that had like 240 lines of resolution or something mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. And then you had like a better version of 320, and then there was like 8 millimeter was like 380 or something, and right, high it was like right. 400, 420, something like that. I mean, it's ridiculously low. It's just crap. And But yes, that's right. But it looked good back then for what it video did. was. <laughs> so you it basically did. invented YouTube. <laughs> well, well, we, <laughs> we were we, shooting. We were shooting that video because one of uh, one of the roommates of ours was up for a coordinating job on the Mortal Kombat television series. And so, when you're up for a coordinator, you, you usually will submit tape showing how well you can create choreography and do the stunts in it. And we actually ended up putting it together for him. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he submitted it. Um, did he get the joke? We did his homework for him. We he right, didn't we do, did. We did. I mean, um, well, so they went, with a, they went with another coordinator who, who had a little bit more shows under his belt. So that, that, that's the issue it came down to, even though they liked the choreography and the stuff we sent in. So. Yeah, and so I remember how this started. You, you, you can tell me your version, but so Billy comes back one day and says he's up for, the, he's up for the, this Mortal Kombat TV series. Right? Mm-hmm. I can't, who was the producer who was running that? Do you remember? Oh, I can't remember. So uh, I, think was, it was, I think it was the same. It was Threshold Entertainment, I think, that did the... Um, they did the movie, and then the movie was really popular, so they created the television series to go with it. Yeah. Larry, okay. Larry Kazanoff, I believe, was the producer. That sounds right. Okay, so he comes back, <laughs> and he's like, yeah, let's just take the video camera up to the gym, and we'll just do some choreography with like some sticks and some like guys fighting. And we're like, dude, that sucks. I mean, yeah. come on. We can do better than that. And I think Mitchell... It was Mitchell's idea. He's like, let's go up to Vasquez Rock or something. What's called Bronson, Bronson Cave, where they where they Bronson. shot the old Batman. <laughs> yeah, we did the Batman Cave. Do you remember? That's right. Those were the Bat Caves. <clears throat> yeah, speaking of Batman, did you see the old Batman TV series? Have you ever seen that? Oh yeah, I grew up watching that when they would when they would uh, be climbing up the side of the building, but it was just a flat piece of you know structure. Tur- and the camera was turned sideways so it looked like they were climbing up the building. It was right. awesome. Bam, pow. Did, Justin, did you ever see that in, when you were growing up in London? Oh, totally. Adam West. That's right. right. Yeah, I well, loved you, it. Well, you remember there was a cave that the Batmobile would come driving out of and they would show that at the beginning. But it was, I thought that was just like a fiberglass thing. No, that was what? real. Those are real caves. That was caves. a real cave. Those okay. are real caves. <laughs> real caves. And, we, and so, so Mitchell was like, let's go up to Vasquez you know, Caves. Or no, Vasquez. Uh, Bronson. No, Bronson okay. Caves, yeah. Let's go up there and we'll shoot the fight scene up there. And then, so Mitchell sits down and he starts drawing out, comes up with this whole choreography. And I don't know, did you, did you guys work on that together? We worked on it together. We, uh, we got into a, a makeshift wardrobe. <laughs> we, shot, <laughs> we shot something that I, every time I used to watch, I, I, now when I look at it, you know, if I ever got a chance to look at it, I got to find it and see if I still have it my, somewhere in my vault. But uh, I feel like this score from Star Trek needs to go along with it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so it, but it was funny because, so you guys actually did a really good job. Meanwhile, Billy's not even in the picture. I don't know what the hell he was doing. He's just taking a nap or something. Billy you guys, spent, <laughs> right, for like a week. And so you guys <laughs> were coming up with this choreography. You're going up to the gym, working out this really cool choreography. And I'm, you know, I'm standing there with you. And I had, I happen to have one of these analog to digital conversion boards so that you could take the height. This is before Firewire, before right. TV and all that stuff. There, this was a. To, 
this fight scene was only like a minute and a half to two minutes long. And I remember it taking days for you to render all the footage. Yeah. So we had, okay. Well, one thing I would say, so we had this compression board. It was like a thousand dollar board that would take in S video and would plug in. I had like a Pentium, like 133 or something. And like <laughs> 90, 90 megabyte hard drive. And I think I had like 10 or 20 megabytes free that I could use for like, you know, so we were we weren't creating the new YouTube. We were or the YouTube. We were reinventing the wheel, <laughs> literally, <laughs> practically. Yeah, and so so I'm like, yeah, we can totally do this thing, right? right. So I remember we get up. It was going to be a weekend shot, and we bring in Carlton, who was the other roommate, and he was also kind of like a he was like a stuntman actor slash director. Yeah, that's Wanna correct. Well, he directed slash movies. Yes, no, there you go. <laughs> well, you know, then we he say actually, like. Actually, that's what he does. He writes and directs slasher movies. Yeah, there we go. That's yeah. So it all it all started from the, from the, this begin this point. So we went up. We went up. We said, all right, Saturday morning. We get up at eight in the morning. We take our hike camera. We had I think we had two cameras and like four batteries or something. And we go up to the caves and we bring a bunch of food and water, right? And mm-hmm. we go up there. And you guys have your crash, you know, all your, like your equipment. And we go up there and shoot this thing. And we shot eight hours of footage in two days. It was a Completely, you know, we would take, do the same take like eight or ten times. Wow. We worked our asses off. I can say was, asses, right? It was <laughs> yeah. so funny, right? So, so it was it was a fight between Mitchell and Dan, uh-huh. right? And 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 Carl and I would take terms. One would be like the director, and one would be the DP, which would be the guy holding the camera. And the director would say, "Hey, we'll get it from this angle, or shoot it from here, or whatever." Mm-hmm. And it was hilarious because it'd be things like you know, Mitchell would do a backflip, you know, flying over Dan and land on his butt. And I'd be like, oh, dude, you know, my hand was in the camera lens. And he'd be like, what? Like, try it again. Like, oh, crap, I forgot to hit record. <laughs> we, oh, my God, we learned, we learned a lot about how to shoot our fight scenes doing that together. And that's eventually what made Mitch and I more valuable to um, one of Jackie Chan's choreographers and gave us a chance to work with him because we had a lot of experience doing that stuff ourselves. Yeah, you know, I actually still have, there, there was a camera, I have it right here. I found it was called the Video Production Handbook, <laughs> which is like, I, I have the, I have the Filmmaker's Handbook, which I think is a, a second edition to that. <laughs> yeah, so I, I the night before I pulled this thing out and I read and I'm like, all right, you know, you have your 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 master shot, your insertion shot, your POV, and then you mm-hmm. have your key light, your backlight, your spotlight. I'm like, got it, I can do this, no problem. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> we got this, and so we went up there. We just shot the thing for two days. You know, barely having enough batteries, barely having enough light. And we come back after shooting it for two days. And then Mitchell and I sit in, in my office. And what you would do is you would look at the eight, you know, the seven or eight takes of every shot. And we had tons of different shots from every angle, POV, insertion shot, you know, all that kind of stuff. Oh, we and shot everything and anything. If we were, if we were, if we were in doubt, we just shot it. <laughs> Which exactly. is the long way to do it when you get into the editing process. <clears throat> exactly. And... Um, I, I, I remember that we would, you would hit play on the height camera. We have the S video connecting to the cord and you would hit play for like two or three seconds. And I would hit record on, on Adobe Premiere and we record it. And then I hit stop, stop, you know, because like we only have so much, you know, memory right, available. Right, right. And we save it and then we'd bring it on to like the cutting deck on the screen or whatever it was. And we kind of piece this whole thing together and we did, we, we ended up. Eight hours of footage down to two-minute fight scene put on the Mortal Kombat soundtrack, and it was pretty damn good. <laughs> it, came, it, it came out really good. It really did. I used it on my demo reel for a long time. 
Didn't you say that you actually got a lot of work from that for, for because of that? I got, I got I got work from the choreography and the way that it was shot. It was shot really well. It was interesting to watch, and you know, I got some work from it as a stuntman. Yeah, well, see, that was just that's such a good example of just going out and doing stuff. You know, everybody wants to take classes and they want to read books. It's like screw it, man. Just go and do it. Get a couple people together and just go and do something. At least for filming. At least for filming. I don't recommend going out and trying to be a fireman and, and just do it. <laughs> you probably want to. Sorry, that's my phone. Go ahead. Okay. Hey, Dan, when you, when you guys finished shooting that, did you have an after wrap party? <laughs> I, I don't. Did we? Because I, I have a question. I have a question for you that I know myself and many listeners are curious about. Have you ever seen Jason drunk? I have to think about that. I don't. I don't think I've ever seen Jason drunk. No, but uh, I don't. <laughs> I'm just gonna put it this way. I'll tell you what. He masks it. He just, you know. I, I think you can kind of tell because because all of a sudden he starts talking faster. <laughs> <laughs> because because he he does he says he doesn't drink these more, days. More 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 content comes pouring out of his mouth, and then you more have to content? say to yourself. <laughs> all right. Well, I'm sorry for sorry for that tangent. So no, that uh, so good. back to the story. Back to the story. So well, a couple things I wanted to say about the um, fight. So we didn't. I don't remember have a rap party because you know afterwards you're done and then you lay on the music um, and eventually watch. We, we were everything. We were there were four of us and we did everything that uh, you know a 50 man crew usually does. We were exhausted after that, including craft service. I think we had like 20 power bars in our bag. No, we were lugging equipment up those hills. So yeah. well, I still remember one of my favorite scenes. which was my idea. I remember <laughs> was the closing scene. The closing scene. Yes, yes, and, and I I remember agreeing with you. That yeah, you shot did. we should get. And I I can't remember who won the fight. Was it you or Mitchell? I can't remember uh, who won the fight. I, remember. I think well, so, I think it was Mitchell. I think it was you. And so so you're on. Oh, the, no, no, no. So, I I win the fight. I stomped. I, I okay. stomped the camera. Right. Right. So so we have we have a POV from Mitchell who's down on the ground looking straight up at at, at Dan and Dan just. Raises his foot and it just stomps the camera like he's stomping your face and you're dead. It blacks out. Mm-hmm. That's it. It was badass. <laughs> <laughs> it was hardcore, but it worked. It was a great way to end it. And uh, so, and I remember driving back, we're driving down out of the Hollywood Hills in a sun's kind of setting, in a Sunday night. We had two days up in, the, up in the hill, up in the cave shooting this stuff, and it was so much fun. And I was like, that was one of the most fun weekends of my life. Period. I mean, it was a blast. And Carlton to be a filmmaker after that, yeah. Well, Carlton turns to me and he goes, "You got the bug now, don't you?" <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm kind of staring out the window, and I'm like, "Yeah, I think I do. <laughs> <laughs> I think I do." So ever since then, ever since we did that, I've we've always kind of talked about like doing something bigger, doing something again. I'm like, we should do another weekend, do something else, build something bigger. But then it wasn't that long after that, like six months later, I moved to Chicago and I was at, gone for a couple of years and then I got married. So, you know, and you guys had moved on and, and we're kind of doing bigger things. So it never, right. we never really just to do anything, but I've always wanted to get back to doing that. And so when you started telling me about how you were building, starting your own series, Divergence, and you were actually getting some off the ground and doing it at a more professional level, I was like super psyched to hear about it. So let's it, let's jump in here a little bit about it. Yeah, it was it was based on those experiences. You know, I mean, I spent I wanted to do uh, produce something uh, on my own, but I, I I decided to wait 
uh, be patient and wait, and I, I, I see what I could learn from watching other people do their own projects. And you know, there are a lot of projects that I got a chance to work on and take notes and, and make observations about that were that failed, and some that were successful. And when I'm talking about these projects, I'm talking about um, independent, lower budget projects because you really want to see how those come together if you're going to attempt to do something uh, a, a little bit more affordable than than the bigger productions that, you know, of course. I've also worked on um, like uh, Scorpion King and The Rundown and and uh, those those films and you you can't you can't come in and I've seen the biggest mistake I've seen with some of these uh, independent productions is that they come in trying to behave like a bigger production and you can't you can't do that you don't have the wherewithal you don't have the the scheduling ability and um, it kills a lot of people so. Um, after feeling like, okay, I think I know what I can do here to make uh, a project of my own take off and getting a little bit more experience both as an actor and, uh, and a producer uh, because I had to act in it. I wasn't going to be able to find an actor to do the action that, uh, that I wanted to do. Um, I, I was starting to watch a lot of uh, people producing stuff and putting them up on the internet. And the biggest, the biggest hurdle you have when you're creating your own independent production is how you how you're going to distribute it, and how you're not going to get raped by the distribution company if you're if you get something out there that's of enough quality to get picked up by a distribution company. So with the internet, it cuts the middleman out. It, it was a place where people were uh, posting stuff and getting it seen uh, worldwide. Um, but the the question was, okay, now how do you monetize this? How do you make money back if you're going to do that? Um, and I think for the artist who wants to make stuff and get seen and get noticed, it's it's still a great venue right now. You know, you're not really and you're hoping that somebody will notice your work and then hire you from there. But for us, we actually wanted to figure out. I wanted to sort of. It, it seemed like a, a great field to be pioneering uh, when, when I got started getting into this about three years ago. And at the time, the, the model for success was basically a variety show type comedy. One guy puts a camera on himself. He does comedy acts, routine uh, comments on social, you know, on current events. And then, you know, he'll basically, it, it's a week of work. He'll, he'll write it Monday, get the props Tuesday, he or she, perform Wednesday, edit Thursday, blog, that's your, you know, marketing on Friday, and then they would post Saturday. And it's a very, it's like a 70 hour week. And there were some models for that that were becoming successful. People were making around $300,000 a year uh, doing that if they were funny. And what was great about that model was it was you were either good or you weren't, and there was no, there was no excuse about it. You know, there was no saying, well, I'm good, but you know, the companies just aren't giving me a chance. The casting directors aren't giving me a shot. You can put it up, and you can find out right away if you're good. So that part's a little bit scary. Um, but it, it was a, it was a perfect venue to, to go and, and get, get our stuff aired. And, uh, so we, I called up a buddy of mine. We created a sci-fi action, uh, uh, suspense thriller show. There's about 13 episodes. Uh, when, we, when, when was this? How long I'm ago? Sorry, this How was long ago was this? Three years ago. Okay. Three years ago. So when you say, when you say created, you mean you, you, that was where you thought of it and wrote it? Well, for about six months, I had to coax him back into the industry. He had left the industry, <laughs> and he didn't want to do it. And, you know, I did a few films with him before he left, and I thought the guy was really good, specifically because he really understands technology really well and how these digital cameras work and the post-process. 
Um, so we talked about it for about six months. Then we started throwing around some ideas. And then we started throw, uh, writing some stuff back and forth. I wrote uh, a synopsis for the first few episodes. I told – we get to this point where it's sort of like the critical mass moment, right? I say, well, I think you're going to have to write this. And he doesn't want to write it. <laughs> <laughs> None of us wants to write it. None of us really, you know, at, up to this point, we're both just talking shit. We're like, you know, yeah, we're going to do this until we realize <laughs> work actually has to be done. So I say to him, well, you're going to have to write it if you're going to direct it. That's the best thing to do because then you'll know exactly how you want to set up your shots and how to, how to write it in such a way that we can save money, you know. And so he goes, okay. And I got to tell you, I think it's the best thing he's ever written. And it was so good that we had a few people want to buy the scripts off of us before we finished producing the show. And uh, it was, it's what allowed us to attract some really good actors and some really good uh, talent in terms of the DP and the sound people that got involved. What was it called? It's called Divergence. Oh, okay. So this is the current, the current one. Okay. I thought yeah. this was something further so back. It's a three-year project. It's, a, so this it's is a, taken us three years to get to this point because we're small. Oh, okay. Okay. Just, so let us, so okay. So you've been go, you've been going at this for three years. Um, mm -hmm. In terms of actual actually shooting shooting it, how much have you sh shot so far? We've shot ten episodes. <laughs> so you've shot ten episodes, and do you, it, what is it that you are just basically going to put them out one at a time because you can, or is it that you have to for technical reasons? Well, um, we've I've found and and actually what a lot of people are, are finding is that people have a voracious appetite for their television shows or their content on the internet and they tend to want to watch whole seasons at once people will sit down and just go one episode right after the other so yeah we, justin you've done that you you do that with your teenage I do dramas, that all right? the time i the time. do i did it with heroes i did it with yeah. Um, Spartacus, Blood and Sand, and I'm sitting there going, wow, I, I understand this, this appetite that you get because you just want to continue to see what happens with the character, especially if it's a good show. I really hope that Divergence is a teenage drama because that is my favorite kind of drama. What are your teenage dramas? There, there, there was Friday Night Lights was your first. That's I what like got you Friday hooked. Night Lights. I like Vampire Diaries. I like okay. Kyle XY. <laughs> and Glee. Oh, man. <laughs> All right. Anyway, he's, sorry. Yeah. He's a good show. I actually caught a few episodes and I'm sitting there going, oh, I, I like this show. <laughs> You're kind of looking around. I like this show. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um, so we have six episodes. We have a total of 10 complete. We have six hmm. that are we're going to be ready to post right away. And then while those are while those are flying around through the airwaves or through the Internet waves, we're going to polish up uh, seven through 10 or 11 and and then and then post those are they all um, of a, a consistent quality then so they because you're doing it that way i'm guessing they're going to be consistent yeah yeah i mean what we'd like to do is is post the whole season um but we're just we're too small of a company to do that right now if, if we want to get it out and I, I think it's the timing of getting it out is very important for us as well so we've decided to parcel it out that way six and then four more and then if the show does really well, our plan, because our last three episodes, there's actually, we've, we've, you know, it was originally going to be 12, but we think it's going to end up being 13 to close out the season uh, really well, are written with a bigger budget. There's some car chases, some explosions, there's some guys raining down from the sky. <laughs> yeah. there's, a whole, there's a whole SWAT team that rains down from the sky. And yeah, that's kind of a staple nowadays, is the guys yeah. raining from the sky. It used to be the car chase, but... <laughs> Do you, do you have like any thoughts of if it's successful? Okay, you can syndicate this to terrestrial TV. Yes, 
Um, and so what we've got to do is once we get the first six episodes uh, polished, and the trailer's up already, uh, you can go to the website, uh, com. And you can click on the, the uh, trailer there to take a look at it. Um, that's up. And once we get the six episodes polished, I'll be able to take that to a few companies that are actually very interested in buying the product, buying the show from us. Um, and so there's a chance that the, the show could get bought. And we've been finding that they don't want you to post anything. They want to be able to release it through their company so they can take credit for releasing the show. So we don't, we don't want to show any episodes in case uh, one of these companies wants to buy it. Is, is it kind of like, um, it could work out kind of like Evil Dead. Remember there's Evil Dead 1 and with, uh, was that Cam- Campbell? I guess I heard Bruce, his name. Bruce, Cam- Bruce, Bruce Campbell. Campbell. And then they remade it, it was Evil Dead 2. It was a higher budget. And, they, and also the same thing with El Mariachi, which was uh, Robert Rodriguez's film, right? They, it was Robert Rodriguez uh, made this really low budget thing, which is a great, by the way, it's a great, um, book anyone wants to read it um, called Rebel Without a Crew. Talk about mm-hmm. how I made this thing on like a zero budget and a one man crew, mm-hmm. and and that was bought and that was eventually remade with Antonio Banderas as uh, Desperado, yeah. right? Yeah, it's possible that could happen with our show. We could we could end up finding that that nobody wants to bite, and and that's that happens with good shows sometimes too. Um, and then we sh- we show it. It gets a lot of uh, views and hits, and you know maybe it does really well. And then a show. A company might want to pick it up, and uh, it's always sunny in Philadelphia. Started out as a web series, really. And Danny DeVito, love, yeah, he saw. I it. love that show. Yeah, yeah. The, the, it's a great show. It's so funny. I and just this, discovered that. I'm like way late, and I'm like, this is me too. Yeah, effing me too. hilarious. And I can't I, believe I was, how funny this is. Right, and I was told that it was a web series first, and then Danny DeVito. The story goes, Danny DeVito saw it, really liked it, wanted to come on board, and that's what helped it get picked up by. So does that mean that you basically won't show it until you've pitched it around to a few studios? So, you, so you're going to develop the first six episodes, you're going to show it around, and then it's never going to get to the web unless they all say no, and then you're going to put it on the web. I'm going to, I'm going to, I have, I only have a, a two or three companies that I want to, I want to show it to and meet with first. Um, and the process isn't going to take that long. It'll probably take about two weeks to figure out whether or not they want the show or not. Okay. Uh, our, our, uh, the thing that we both want to do, me and my business partner, we actually want to release it for free on YouTube. And it's kind of a bold thing to do after spending three years developing this show. Um, you know, he and I doing everything from Foley and uh, ADR and him doing special effects and color correction and, and sound mixing and us getting, a, getting lucky with a composer here or there. I mean, I had to put on heels just to do the sounds of the girls walking <laughs> I don't yeah. think that has, that's not a first. That's not wait. That's not really a first for you, though, right? The heels. <laughs> I mean, no, but, but you, you so can make it, money through YouTube, right? I mean, what well, if if you did you put can. it out there and it got a lot of hits? There are there turns out now there are a few models for making getting a monet, you know monetizing your product. YouTube isn't necessarily the most in, the most efficient way of doing that. Um, because you've got to garner a lot of hits before um, the company YouTube actually approaches you and wants to make you a partner, and then that means that uh, advertisers will go will look at your content and go, yes, this is a place where we want to advertise our stuff, and then they'll advertise on your site or before your show your your video plays, and you can get you can get money that way. That's kind of how it goes now, um, but. That's kind of what we want to do because we think that, hey, you know, we think this will be really popular. It could op- it's going to open a lot of doors for us anyway as filmmakers. Uh, but it's kind of bold to do after you've, you know, I sank uh, a good chunk of my own money into this and time. And it's, it's kind of scary because I think that we can at least make 
what we spend on it back if, if we go the conservative route. But I'm not sure that's, that's what we want to do. I've got a scenario for you that may be a bit worrying and, and you could explain how you're going to navigate this one. Okay, so you approach the three companies. One of the companies says, yeah, yeah I love this. They buy it up. They get it placed on a network. The network airs it. It gets low ratings after the six episodes. They don't option the extra episodes and then it dies even though you've made the 10 episodes. That's okay. We can, we can, can, I think that at that point, you're a player in the game. Okay. So would you then put it on the web and you'd put the full 10 episodes? I guess one way or another, even for the fans, you'd still have the 10 episodes, wouldn't you? Yeah, there there are enough fans. I I think that the show is good enough that uh, it's going to get some fans and and we can continue to make them for the fans. If, well, you know, another another thing we're thinking about doing is putting a Kickstarter campaign up there. So if this is, this is becoming, so what we're doing, what we're talking about doing is doing something that's more, includes the audience and gets the audience to participate more in a show that they like, they may or may not like, right? So if the show is really good, if we put it up on YouTube, it's really good, and we start a Kickstarter campaign uh, where we're getting people to donate just a dollar here or there and more if they want, to, if they want more involvement in the show, uh, then we can use that to turn around and do more episodes. It's not my favorite plan. It's an idea we're toying with. Um, it can work. Um, one of the things we're going to definitely do is include a blog on the website where – uh, or a forum where f- uh, fans of the show can can talk about the characters, and you know have a little disclaimer at the beginning of of the the forum where anything that is used on this forum, anything that's written on this forum can be used as content in the show and will be ours and we'll own it. And can then, help to develop the right, show, right? And it can help develop the show, and that's something that we can do to make sure that the show grows with its audience and stays where it's uh, stays. You know, r- it relates to its audience uh, well instead of growing in a different direction when you got just two guys sitting at a table going, "What are we going to do now?" <laughs> that's actually a really good idea. You know, I mean, yeah. I I think. Jess and I have definitely sort of crowdsourced ideas and uh, information from the comments on, on this podcast blog. Um, and it's because you, know, you end up having a lot of smart people have good ideas and, yeah. um, you know, why not leverage those? And it's, it's, a, and it's a kick for the people who are fans. They like really, yeah. If you've got somebody I, that's contributing a lot, you can end up hiring them on the show. I, I think it's a really good collaborative experience for a show. And one, th- one of the other things we're going to do is if you, you know, we'll have spinoff series for each character all related to the website, the main, the main show. So you can, you can watch the show, and if you have a character that you like, you can follow that character on his or her own storyline and, and watch that weave in and out of the main story. And you can only do something like that, I think, on the internet. I have to say, I'm, I'm, it, it sounds so good that I'm almost worried about you even trying the conservative route because if you're successful in the conservative <laughs> route it's like oh this could have been a chance to do something you know well my something different yeah, the, yes and my i like the idea of do of making some bold choices and doing stuff different i mean it was a bold choice to do something for the web in the first place so i'd like to continue down that track and and i think it's the right way to go um you know well the key is doing something you know the fact yes. that you actually yeah. went on it did something and i so many people they just sit around they talk and they plan and they just don't do anything and you guys invested energy and time and creativity and, and now here you are well i want to ask you a question about that so how much money have you put into this how many hours have you put into it exactly I mean, what i wanted to ask yeah. Yeah. i Same. i from my end, personally, I put in about twenty-five to thirty thousand dollars. That's a lot to spend on a web series, and and me and my partner talk about this all the time. We think we way overshot on the production value and quality of our show. <laughs> we keep looking at other web series out there, going, "Gosh, man, maybe we overdid this." We <laughs> really. So that's good. We, we feel the same on texting. We feel exactly. <laughs> <Okay. the same. laughs> 
But yeah. I got to tell you, I don't. I personally, I don't want to go the the old tried and true traditional routes. I want to do the riskier, make the riskier choices in terms of how we're going to get this show out there, and, and I think that's the way to do it. Yeah, but but <laughs> if, if you do get offered that six figure sum, please take it. <laughs> don't, don't, <laughs> well, we've don't be discussed for anything this, right? we said here. <laughs> Douglas Horn is the co-creator on this, and Douglas Horn and I, we we've uh, we've discussed that we do have we do have a buy-in point. <laughs> <laughs> we do our buyout point. You can buy us out. We both have our marks. At which point, we're ready to give it all up. Yeah, everybody has their number. <laughs> I don't like yeah, to advertise it. He and I have five of the shows, five other web series that we're we're developing because uh, we wanted them ready to go in case a company says to us, "Well, we like this show, but we're looking for something a little bit more like this that has zombies in it or whatever." And then we've got some shows that, that uh, are ready. We're ready to pitch that have that. So does that mean writing? When you say we have these five other shows that we're developing, does that mean writing, or do you have some episodes filmed, or how, that, what does that, that all mean? That means that means writing. We've we've written episodes. We've um, we've written uh, actually we've written episodes for almost all of them. Yeah, because at a certain point they were just synopses, but uh, we've written episodes for for every one of these ideas we've got to get them going and kickstart them. Now a, a couple <laughs> questions. I mean, well, first of all. Uh, one comment about you know having multiple sort of ideas or, or pitches is a, f- a friend of mine who's uh, also a writer used to say that he that he has his he has the stuff he writes that it's just about making a living like he's he's well he's more than happy to sell it out and then he says there, then there are other pro- your projects that you make love to right like right, I'm not right. giving this up for anything I am going to be the director I'm going to be the writer on this I'm never giving that up so yes. um, and is that the way you feel you have you have some that you're like it's good but I can sell it. this other one it's this is, it, I'm attached or it's not happening yeah you know yes and no i guess like i i I developed divergence because i just wanted something that was a cool sci-fi action piece that i could work on (laughs) right so uh you know i don't i don't feel like any of the projects are are projects that i have to i just have to do i mean i'm i'm I could I could let either one any one of them go if it continues if it allows me to continue doing what I love doing and that's that's nowadays that's what's more important to me so yeah um, kind of kind of reminds me when I saw this um it was uh, one of those biography shows on Star Wars the making of Star Wars and mm-hmm. Harrison Ford said you know when he when, when they saw it was like the first day that Star Wars was playing and there was these huge lines and and he saw how big it was going to be and he's like yes now I can start to work. Yes. You know, it's, yes. Yes. That was really it. That's that's where I'm at right now. So, uh, well, yeah, I, I do. I really like this this western that that I'm writing. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. I like western. Uh, <laughs> I, yeah, it's, it's called it's, Bonanza. It's a uh, it's a uh, it's, uh, it's a zombie western. It's going to be a lot of fun. <laughs> zombie western. <laughs> okay. <laughs> good. Good. Uh, so when you say no. When you write a TV series, I, I always I was under the impression that you have to write like a, a treatment that you would have to sort of sketch out the <clears> season, <throat> how the characters develop, you know, because it's not about just writing one episode. You have to explain to the network or whoever, like, this is where these characters are going to go. This is where the story goes for season one, two, three, four. If, if we go that long, this is how it's going to play out in the season. Is, is, that, is that what it's you've a- done for these shows? It's a good idea to do that just so that you're not making stuff up as you go and paint yourself into a corner. But that kinda was like, me. Kind of like Lost. <laughs> exactly. And we, in fact, we, we, we use Lost as an example. Of, um, but we actually, um, 
you, you have to do that when you present your show to network because they want to know that. And, they, you know, they have to apply all of their number crunching statistics and figure out whether or not they think it can, it can make money for them. So they want to see those kinds of things. They want to see if the show has longevity. And by doing that, you actually figure out pretty quickly whether or not you've written something that is that has a, allows you to have enough uh, flexibility to go anywhere with the story and allows you to continue to generate story. So that's where the real important part of creating a, a, sh a show, a television, that's going to be a series in any venue is going to come from. It's, do you, have you created something that is going to allow you almost an endless amount of content um, that you can create and, uh, and also have people add on to in terms of ideas? That's the important part. And outside of that, you know, we only, we only wrote our first season. We don't mm -hmm. know where our second season is going to go yet. It's not, it's not going to kill us to not know that right at this point. We're a small, we're a small company. We want, we want to see if our first idea is good anyway. <laughs> right, right. And, if it, and if it is, we'll have time to sit down. We'll probably have even some money to sit down and, with a team and get the ball rolling and get a nice, smooth, oiled machine going that, that's producing stuff a lot quicker. That's, well, that's, the, that's the ideal you know, scenario. You even see that in like major TV series like Fringe. I mean, I, you can tell what they just kind of like change directions, like season two or something. There are characters that they just kind of like forgot. Like they just like let's just not mention his name again and pretend <laughs> that nobody notices. There, you know, like there there could be lots of reasons for that. But that's why I actually said that Lost was an example for us because we were saying, okay, wait a minute, we don't. If we want to go out, we just want to go out and start. And actually, this whole thing started as, look, it's just going to be you with a camera and me with another actor. And we're just going to run around the city and shoot scenes. Let's just do it. And then it turned into a crew, and I had to get porta-potties that cost me a, you know, a tenth of my budget. <laughs> wow. Ridiculous. Um, but it, it ends up what needs to be done. And if, if you're going to create anything with some quality, you're going to end up needing a crew and some lights and some and flags and and a porta potty, yes. The, the most important part of, of the production I've learned has nothing to do with the actual filming. It's about making the people who are working for you feel comfortable and fed. Right. So, <laughs> so okay, now, now, for people not in the, in the business, they call what you were doing guerrilla shooting, right? You don't get permits. You just like show up somewhere, try and keep a low profile, and get some shots in real quick, right? And that's what's amazing about shooting with DSLRs. I mean, you're just, you look like a photographer on the street. And th that's the whole point of shooting that, that way with a very small crew. We had a very minimal crew. Uh, as much as we could keep it uh, small, we did. You know, whenever I could have it, just the sound guy. Even the sound guy was too much for me, but, I, but we, you need good sound recording. So whenever yeah. we, whenever I could, it was just the sound guy, the director with, it, with the camera instead of the DP, and me and the other actor. And then we would go places and do stuff. Was it that movie Monster that was done that Monster way? was my inspiration. And and I, I remember hearing him interviewed on NPR, and he he said, you know, the really the only thing is that, that you can differentiate between a professional production and an, a non-professional these days is the audio. That's basically, correct. That's yeah, correct. Basically, the the audio and having a sound guy is an absolute must. Right. We, I mean, the technology for capturing the image has has progressed so far that you don't need this all this amazing equipment anymore. You almost don't even need the lighting. You can get. We shot. There's a scene you'll see in the first episode when it gets released. We shot on a street with zero lighting. It's all ambient, and we got some beautiful colors because of what these cameras can do in terms of capturing the image now. 
audio is a little, I think, behind in, in, in that sense. You need good production sound. You need you know, the right kind of equipment to get in there, get the right sounds. It has to be quiet. You have to be able to control your set. Uh, so so that, those are the problems you always run into when you're trying to capture audio at the moment. And they'll probably be there for a long time, you know. What were what? How how much was the audio? I mean, these these cameras themselves. How much did the cameras cost, and how much do the um, did the audio cost? What, well, what did you our, use? So we ended up. Well, first we started off with the seven D and and the five D and the seven D, um, the Canon seven D and the Canon five D. Canon seven D right? and the Canon five D. That's what we shot. And those cost like what fifteen hundred dollars or something? Yes, about that. And. Okay. Um, Really small, compact cameras, but even those cameras were a little bit bulky for us in terms of some of the driving scenes that we had to do when we wanted to mount the cameras on the inside on both ends, of the, both sides of the windshield so we can catch the two actors talking while we were driving. So, um, <clears throat> but we shot the first uh, six episodes with that, and then we went back and did pickups and shot the rest of the episodes through 10 and 11 with the G- Panasonic GH2, and it, with the hacked firmware. And... I like the picture quality on that, that camera so much better. And we did that with just my director DPing himself. And the pictures look, I think, even more beautiful than the pictures we got with a full-on DP and, you know, an AC and AC being an assistant camera operator as well. well how much <clears> did the, uh, the Panasonic cost? What was the model again? The GH what? The Panasonic GH2 cost $800. And so you could probably pick that up used on Amazon for like, 350 bucks or something maybe right and what what is hacking the firmware what what does that do so hacking the firmware now i i wish that uh my uh, business partner was here with me to explain the actual details of the the technology that that it, uh goes on with that but basically he explained to me that hacking the firmware unlocks certain capabilities with the camera and i'm guessing that has to do something has to do with how the chip is going to render the image and huh. what the camera does with that rendered image you know the things that it allows you to to sort of play with because probably these cameras come with uh, a lot of automatic um, uh, uh, sort of firmware, automatic uh, devices that allow you to take it right out of the box, point and shoot. But if you use a firmware that unlocks that, now you have to go in and sort of adjust that stuff kind of manually. Now, I'm just, I'm just guessing here. <laughs> and right. I, think that's what he, I think that's what he meant when he said it unlocks the camera's capabilities. He said it, there, there's, cool. some, there's some drawbacks to it, but he said, you know, you, when you when you compare them to the problems we were having with the the seven D and the five D, uh, one of the problems we were having that was that with that camera was that it has a very shallow depth of field, which is really nice for photography and very nice for film, but not when you're trying to follow an actor on a guerrilla style shoot, and your DP is also your director is also your camera assistant. He's trying right. to follow focus, right? So the GH two had a little bit. Uh, more of uh, a longer depth of field, and it allowed uh, our act, allowed us to be make a little bit more mistakes when we're shooting handheld in terms of our follow focus. And uh, there are all those things you have to sort of consider based on the style of shooting you're going to do and, and the show you're going to do. How, how did how did you hack it, or who hacked it? Uh, the, my my business partner, the director uh, Douglas Douglas hacked it. He bought the firmware. You can buy the firmware online that's uh, that will hack the uh, the the the. Um, software in the computer in the camera and are you, are you editing on uh, on a mac or i mean how's the editing we've, work? we've been editing on i'll tell you an interesting ha- thing happened i was editing with uh i was doing all the rough edits with the uh with an editor and then we would send them to the director so that he could look at them with fresh eyes and do the polish 
Because if you spend, you know, 15 hours, that's about what it takes per episode editing. You're just, you're not just, just putting it together. What we call a rough assembly. You just, you're so tired of looking at it. You're not going to actually find it. That's just like lining up one scene to the next scene to the next scene. Exactly. Kind of thing. Exactly. But it's important too, because it tells, it, the way you do it to t- can tell a story in a completely different yeah. way. If you do it the wrong, I mean, exactly. it, the pacing, the feel, I mean, it, 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 to, to go back to that Star Wars uh, biography I saw there, I remember Lucas had hired one editor and the way they pieced the whole thing together was all wrong and it just sucked and so he had to rip the whole yeah. thing apart it took like another six months or however long to just recut the whole thing so it's not so, just a matter of just piecing it together it's uh there's right. an art obviously to it absolutely so i get my first pass and i'm fine with that you know my what, notes what software and hardware do you use so we were using the final cut pro 7 right final cut 7 and huh. on the mac and uh that was what the editor preferred to use and so at that time we got through the first six episodes, and then Final Cut 10 came out. And uh, he and everyone else was anticipating Final Cut 10. Is that correct? And final, it's called Final Cut 10, right? Um, I think so. I think so. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. And so um, it turns out that that's, it's not professional at all. All the professional editors who use Mac were really uh, sort of disappointed with the software. And so they were all talking about having to switch to... So Final Cut 7 is what we stayed with as a result of that whole sort of situation that took place. And we've been editing on that stuff. That and Pro Tools for the sound. Awesome. And yeah, so the way we do, let me say that the way we do this is we're, we're not all in the same state. Uh, Douglas is in, in Seattle. Um, well, actually, and uh, Bob, who's doing our sound mix right now, is in San Diego, and I'm up here in, or up here in Los Angeles. And we send files to each other, and we edit that way. We send the, program, the, the, the project files to one another. Uh, we, one of them, one of us will work on it, post it. We'll all make notes on it uh, from a Vimeo site, and then it gets it get. That's how the collaboration goes, which I think is pretty amazing. How do you um, get the files to each other? Uh, um, third-party sites like you send it, or yeah, sometimes, sometimes it's so much. Like I've been reading, uh, I've been reading some of the emails, and and I'll see that sometimes it's it's such a large file they'll have to send it via mail. They'll have to FedEx like a, a CD or a DVD or something like that. But thumb drive. But, yeah, or a thumb drive. But for the most part, uh, and I have all the hard drives here uh, as for backup, but uh, for the most part, we've been sending uh, project files to one another. And it's, it's pretty amazing to me because I remember when you had to go to the editing bay and sit down with the editor, and that's where all the stuff lived. And they had an Avid. They had a big Avid system. Which yeah, cost they had a big Avid system, and it cost Hundreds of, of thousands of dollars. And, you know. and now we're doing all this stuff from home from our own laptops. Are you still doing like a, a, a ratio of kind of eight to one, you know, filming eight times as much material as you need? Or it, since you're doing it in a guerrilla style, is it much more one-to-one? Well, this is what I've noticed with the, uh, with the DSLRs. Because you're recording to a chip that you can simply download to your computer and then record over. And, and it gets very stressful when you, can't, when you don't remember whether or not you've downloaded the footage <laughs> from your <laughs> chips. But because of that, you you know, we were using chips that you could film for an hour on sixty minutes. You're film, you're taking, you're just letting the camera run, and you're taking, you know, our ratio was like eight, between eight and ten to one. And I'm huh. used to shooting, you know, on lower budget films where we were running film through the camera, uh, a ratio of three and four to one if you're on a really efficient set. So um, I would try to keep our ratio down around five and six. Uh, but at first we were kind of running a little bit, uh, letting, go, going a little bit loose with that and that can suck up your time. So 
I had the extra uh, responsibility of sort of ADing the set and keeping track of time and making sure we weren't getting shots we didn't need. Well, hmm. that brings up this question. Uh, I guess uh, my question is that, um, you know, you're doing a gorilla shoot. So hmm. you could be out shooting somewhere you're not supposed to. Someone could walk up to you and go, excuse me, do you have a permit? So do you have any stories about where you almost got caught or any problems happened? Or, or So we were, we, we were pretty, we got pretty savvy at, at doing it this way. And, and we were really bold. And, you know, we had two sessions. We did uh, two nine-day two nine shoots. On the first nine-day shoot, we were really stressed out about shooting this stuff guerrilla style. When we came back about eight or nine months later to do the pickups and, the, and shoot new episodes, does, uh, Douglas and I were really comfortable just going anywhere we wanted and shooting. And this is how it would happen. Now, we do have some, some moments that were pretty stressful. We, um, we shot at a, a, a coffee shop down in Los Angeles. And what I would do is I would take the, cat, the crew out to lunch and whatever cast member was there. And we'd eat there. And then I'd let them go. And I'd already be in position at the table that we've already scoped out that we want to shoot uh, a shot of me sitting at from across the street. And you'll see it in the first episode. <laughs> um, and being careful not to get any names, you know, any, any, any signs or names of the cafe in the shot. And then we would communicate by text message or cell phone, you know, uh, and you don't need radios anymore. You can, you, he, I, can, I would get my direction from him via the text and then he, he would call action. He would text action, and then I would just be in action. And then my phone would vibrate. My phone would vibrate on cut, you know. And so we could do all of this very stealth, you know, very stealth. And, and except that after a while, a few patrons started to notice that the camera was pointing in their direction and that I started to repeat some movements over and over again. You just you can't hide when you're filming it at a certain point. And the waiter, the waiter comes over and goes, hey, guys, look, I'm, a, I'm an independent filmmaker also, but you guys need to go because they will shut you down here. And we had just gotten it was a, it was a shot we needed a particular way for a special effect that happens in the show. And we just got it as the guy came up to let us know we had to go. And then we uh, had to go down and shoot in a bathroom inside a mall. And um, same thing. We're in there trying to get this shot. And it's very stressful. I'm trying to tell the guys, so watch out. We've already scoped out where all the security cameras are. And I'm trying to tell them, watch out for the security cameras. If they see you walking in and out repeatedly, they're going to think something's going on in the bathroom. Security guard's going to come. Sure enough, we just get the shot. And the security guard comes in as we're packing up the cameras and walking out. And, uh, so so there was that. And then what else, what what else was another, uh, because the worst, the the worst that's going to happen is they're just going to say leave. Right. I mean, they're just going to say leave. That's what we had to realize. You know, your heart's pumping. You're going, Oh man, I'm not supposed to be here. But then you realize the worst they're going to do is tell you to leave. Although I have a friend that shot a scene at the, uh, LA Coliseum during a Kings game and he was shooting in the bathroom there, but he was shooting a stab scene. A sequ- an action sequence where one, one character is stabbing another in the bathroom and they're dressed like gangsters. So this guy, I was talking to him and the security walks in while they're doing the stabbing action and goes, whoa, whoa, whoa. And he, and he, <laughs> you know, and he comes out of the bathroom stall going, no, no, no look, look, it's a camera. We're, we're just shooting a, a, little, a little movie. It's just a little fun thing for, for, you know, he tries to make it sound like they're just shooting a little mock uh, a film for their friend uh, to make some, you know, to make a joke for their wedding, whatever. And uh, the security guards take off, so they continue shooting, and because <laughs> they got to get their, they got to get their stuff. They're already like three quarters of the way through their shot. They got to get the shot, <laughs> the other shots. They get them, they come out, and there's ten cops out there. There's uh, armed security from the L.A. Coliseum there, 
and and uh, my friend takes the knife from the actor because he doesn't want the actor to do anything stupid, and he pulls the knife and he goes, "Look, no, it's fake!" And they all pull out their guns. Oh, oh my drop lord! It, drop it! He goes, "No, no, no, no! It's a fake knife!" And he puts it down, and they get lucky. The lead security for for the uh, I guess the forearm or wherever they are they're shooting comes up to him and recognizes him and says, "You're an actor, aren't you? You're all actors, aren't you?" And he says, "Yes." She goes, "What are you doing?" <laughs> what are you doing at a Kings game shooting a knife stabbing scene in the bath? Don't you know you're going to get killed by the people around here? And she goes, look, I'm going to let them know that it's no big deal. You guys pack up your stuff and get out of here before they change their mind because they could have arrested them. So in that case, it could have gotten yeah. really bad. You know? Yeah, but I think that's a good lesson is that there's – this is usually not that much of a downside. Usually, <laughs> there's always a special case, you know, for any project. It's like usually worth doing, and I think it's cool that you guys learned that, you know, just to relax about it. There wasn't much of a downside that you got right. caught. Well, the, the thing, the thing that I that we both want to do is we want to get once once the show gets picked up, that's it. We want to own our locations, and we did own most of our locations. They were all a lot of them were shot in the apartment houses of the actors that that were in the scenes, you know, or. Mm-hmm. On property that we own, you know, ninety percent of the stuff was sh- shot on property that we had the right to be on and that we own. But there's a few driving sequences where I'm driving around. And I've I'm, I've got a gun and I'm loading the gun. It's not a real gun. It's a fake gun. But you know, somebody looking through the window is just gonna go, "What the hell? This guy's loading a gun while he's talking to somebody in the seat." Yeah, you can um, imagine a phone call to the police in that situation. And but you'd we've be in- got these huge we've got these huge camera mounts, and we were driving around late at night too with these lights to the interior of the car we drove right by a cop he looked at us they don't care because they realize oh they're just filming something and they let us go you know? it is. well you're you're in la right you're in the right place you're in, you're in la right i think anywhere else you might get pulled over and, and harassed for for doing that and well, rightfully, I was wo- so, rightfully so <laughs> well i was wondering about that i mean i would think that if you're doing it in la as opposed to say the valley where a lot of this stuff happens that you would get um, hassled a little more by people expecting permits because that's so much of that goes on. They're like, we want a permit or get lost. Whereas if you were someplace that people aren't as used to seeing people with cameras, they really wouldn't know what to do or really even really know what's going well, on. Well, here's, here's, the, here's the key issue, and I think it's just what I said before. We were really small. The cameras are really small. We're inconspicuous. And we're not taking up – you know, these film productions will come in and they'll just – take over the area, you know, and not just the area, a good city block, a good city block of it, right? And all the surrounding area, all the parking, and it becomes a real nuisance for the people who live in the area or or have to work there. So of course they want permits, but when you're just a a small one, two man crew, you're shooting your stuff, nobody, nobody really cares. So we, we walked, there are sequences you'll see when we release a show, we're walking all around downtown Los Angeles. Nobody, nobody on the street even cares, Nobody's even looking in the lens, you know. If you if you if you got funding, could you still be like a small five man team, or would you? I think so. Amp up, amp up. I think in certain in certain cases, certain for certain scenes or locations, we'll want to amp up a bit. But I think I would prefer to stay very light and mobile like that because it cuts your your setup time down. It allows you to spend more time shooting your shot and working on your shot. Uh, and I don't see a reason for it needing to be any bigger than that. I, I, I really enjoyed being able, being able to run across town. And at the, by the end of the day, you've got, you know, three or four scenes all in different locations, which is impossible to do if you're going to 
you're going to have a bigger budget. Yeah. I, you know, in, in, your, in your trailer, I, there's a part where you're walking around the city, and yeah. it reminded me a lot of Monster, the, the movie we referenced earlier, right. in terms of the quality, right. I mean, which means the quality was really good. I love the movie Monster, by the way, for people who are interested, who like sci-fi, independent I stuff. I enjoyed it's it, really yeah. Good. I thought it was really, really well done. <laughs> really good. So I was really impressed with that, what they were able to do with the, little, with the gorilla shoot. And, uh, and then when I was watching yours, I'm like, what? wait, this literally reminds me even the kind of camera, the way the look of the film. And how did you, a couple things. First of all, what camera do you use for that specific shot, if you remember? And how, did you do anything to film look it so it didn't look like that ultra sharp video, um, you know, wedding camera um, feel? I think the images you're seeing are pretty much very close to the raw images we, we captured. Um, the, only, the only adjusting we did was we went back and did pickups of some of that stuff. And uh, that was done with the GH2, the pickups. And the original, the original Those pickups mean uh, pickups mean like so you you start you do the rough edit and you realize oh we need a few more shots of this and that. So we call those the pickup shots. You got to go down and pick up those shots, get re, re, uh, and then put them put them into the edit. Yeah, that's how we talk about it in the biz, Justin. <laughs> <laughs> do you do like do you also kind of change street signs and things like that in special effects after the fact? We a ch- change uh, shop signs, I should say. We we haven't done that, and we don't think we don't. I don't think we we've captured anything that we need to worry about doing that with. Um, the, the one thing that does, does concern me a bit is that my license plate is all over the show, but <laughs> what are you going to do? Right. You know, it's my show. It's me. Uh, whatever. I'll just have to deal with whatever comes my way. Cause my license plate is in the show. <laughs> well, at least your phone number probably isn't there, right? That would be a problem. Right. No, no. That is all. Uh, yeah, that's really cool. And I, one thing I would ask about uh, too is in terms of the, let me, let me just say this real quick. Let me say this real quick. I, I do. I, I guess you know there may there may be some some things in the show that if the show is really popular, we'll hear from a company here or there, and we'll probably have to go back and break it out digitally or something like that. And it it, it makes it all much be- all the much better if we just post it on YouTube and and not try to monetize it because then we can get away with a good work of work of art that we've done. That hopefully, more people will want us to do it for them without getting into some of the legal issues that may or may not be there. Right. So. And I just thought of something else. The, you know, you talk about the camera, but a lot of times it's the lenses that cost a lot of money. Do you have to buy a lot of expensive lenses for the, uh, the for Canons the or for the Panasonic? Yeah. For the G8, we, we rented a whole lens kit when we had, were shooting with the 5D and the 7D. We had about uh, 13 lenses, different kinds of lenses. Wow. For the G, when we came back the second time around, the director purchased uh, a kit of lenses. So we had some long lenses and some How much did that lenses. cost? He, I think he spent, it was pretty expensive. He bought some of these 30-year-old Nikon lenses that you could attach to the Panasonic GH2, and the picture looks beautiful. So uh, I think the lenses ended up costing him around 5000 for all the lenses. He bought used lenses. He just went online and looked for a bunch of used lenses, and he knew what shots he wanted to get, so he would get that lens for that particular shot or if that shot right. was going to be used and, and what about the sound? I mean, you, you talk about how sounds, sound has to be really good. What kind of sound? Do you have like a boom that was there hanging over? I mean, how are you, how are you capturing I, the sound? I do a lot of motion capture, and I was down in San Diego talking about doing this web series, and one of the sound guys down there uh, really was interested in getting some experience do, actually being on set doing boom. So he brought, he talked to a bunch of buddies of his. He got the right sound equipment. He collaborated with the director who was very... Uh, 
who's very knowledgeable about how to get the right sound and what sound equipment is involved in doing that. And he brought, he brought some really nice equipment up, some really nice mics uh, and, some, and a shotgun mic and a boom, you know, the boom equipment that goes with it and the mixer. The thing that he didn't quite have enough experience with, and, and when, I'm saying, when I'm saying things like shotgun mic, it's a directional mic. So you have to point in a certain direction versus other mics will get more of all the sound all around. Each yeah, omnidirectional. Has, yeah, omnidirectional. Each mic has a different way they pick up the sound and a different quality of sound that it records. And then there are things you have to be concerned about in terms of when you're outside and there's a lot of wind blowing. You have to have some equipment that can sort of dissipate the sound of the wind going through the mic. Those kinds but of the, things. But those boom mics are like, I mean, you're the guy's hand, holding onto this giant, like, stick that's holding a mic that's holding. I mean, that's kind of, it's not very inconspicuous, you know? I mean. It's not. And so that was the always, always the thing that I, you, you could always hear me on, on the track saying to Bob, Bob, could you just tuck in and hide a little bit better? And Bob's a big guy. <laughs> <laughs> of course, I'm going to hide. Hide behind that chair, Bob. <laughs> he looks. He looks like an ogre walking down the street with a few, huge staff or spear, you know, and some strange. <laughs> archaic weapon i'm like dude you gotta hide man you're so big low profile man low profile <laughs> but uh the boom mic was a preferable way to capture the sound over the lavaliers and lavaliers are the when we attach the mic to the you know the battery to the waist and the mic runs up through the shirt because you get a lot of clothes rustle that way and right. and the boom always sounded much better in our in our opinion but um you know because it was bob's first time in the field he he, had a, he wasn't quite mixing this. You have to sort of mix the sound as you're recording it, meaning you're riding the levels, making sure that uh, whenever I'm talking or as my volume gets louder that I'm not spiking out the, the levels on the recording so that you don't have that, that really bad-sounding uh, quality when you're, when you're mixing. So he, right. he, tended to ride, he tended to ride the levels a little bit low, which meant that we couldn't use our software that automatically sound syncs the sound to the picture we had to just go in and do it by hand for a large portion of the uh, the shots and the footage. So you had to you had to kind of compress the sound and bring it up and make it louder. Yes, yes, and okay. and so so when you're out there in the field, you want to ride those levels and sort of make sure that you're getting a a, a, a big enough sound so that your your software <laughs> that you have can uh, can sync it up. Unless you're planning to sync it all by hand, then. Then I'm really fun. jealous. I really wish I could have done this with you. <laughs> this is oh. sounds so, like so There's much fun. Series two, Jason. It sounds like so much fun. I've been wanting to do this since 1997, since we did the there first are, time. If we um, get if we get going strong, there'll be plenty of opportunities. I'm in. I want in on the next one. Don't yeah. I think don't you enjoy me. it. I think yeah. you'll enjoy it. It has to end with someone stomping on the camera. <laughs> that's the that's my trademark. Every that's how every show ends. <laughs> <laughs> The stomp. <laughs> so, uh, what have what do you think have been? I mean, it sounds like you've learned a ton. Uh, I mean, I guess so. You probably can't boil it down to any one thing, but I don't know what if you had to think, speak sort of generally, or even like what what comes to you as your biggest learning points. I mean, what what did you not get, or what were just sort of surprising things that you learned um, actually doing it, as opposed to say being on set or talking to people or watching other people do it. It's not. It's not technical stuff. I mean, uh, yeah, sometimes a computer crashes. Sometimes your sound sync software isn't working because your sound mixing guy didn't get, didn't record at high enough levels. There are all those little things, but those are to be expected. The thing that really we took some hits on were just regular people stuff. 
people calling up and going, I can't do it today. I got this thing going on. And so what I had learned to do, we had the two sessions. The first session, we almost, uh, we almost didn't, didn't finish the show at all. We took, we took these hard hits uh, in terms of schedule. You know, we had two or three actors have schedule changes on us for, for, for good reason. Um, and we were, you know, we just couldn't, as a guerrilla production, doing this small shoot in nine days, accommodate uh, all the changes in the schedule. So instead of shooting the, tw- the 12 to 13 episodes straight out, that was our original plan, was to get all the episodes in nine days. I made the executive decision to stop at six episodes. Mm-hmm. So that allowed us, what that did was we went from some of these scheduled uh, days where we had 10 to I can't believe I'm saying this, 18 pages a day planned for shooting, which is absolutely ridiculous, <laughs> to no more than six and a half pages a, a day. And that, in fact, for a while was what I wanted to name my company, six pages a day. That's <laughs> yeah. six pages a day is a full day of shooting, a full day. And it's about what you can handle at getting good quality and making your day. And uh, so that's, that was an accident. And then when we scheduled the second nine days of shooting, I built into the schedule. We made sure that none of the days we had scheduled more than six days, six pages of shooting. And I had built contingencies into the schedule so that if something happened, we could juggle the schedule a little bit. And sure enough, a few of the actors, uh, even, even one of the DPs and some very important crew members were not able to accommodate our schedule. And that's what's going to happen when you're a guerrilla independent guerrilla production and you just you're not paying people what what they deserve to be there um we took those hits but we were we were totally able to handle them and came out just fine you know the the second time the second round of shooting the 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 next nine days were very relaxing no zero stress um as a result of just learn having learned to to accommodate people's schedules and and plan for those kinds of things Right. Does that make sense? Yeah, and I, I mean, this this just really jives with, I think, the experience of probably a lot of entrepreneurs, which is that once you get out there, you have a lot of uncertainty, a lot of, um, uh, you know, there's a certain amount of uh, fear that you're going to screw up and, and, and you think you try and do too much. And I think right. after a while, you, just, you learn the same lessons, which is like, hey, you can, you can do quite a lot if you actually do it. Just pace yourself. Don't go too yeah. big. You know, trust yourself, bring some people you trust, do something together. I mean, that's the whole thing. Don't bite off more you chew. So, um, yeah, and I, so I, I, that's why it's so cool to actually see, see this come together. I mean, it's, um, I, I don't know, I, I think it's a good, it's, well, it was exciting for me to actually see you, you know, do it just for its own sake. But it's, uh, yeah, it's a, I, mean, I think it's also a good learning lesson. for. People. It was a good learning lesson. I knew that there were a lot of things I didn't know that I was going to know. Uh, much better after I got finished. And that's, that's the scary part for a lot of people. But, you know, I, there was a point after the first, uh, during the first nine days of shooting where, you know, what had happened was our special effects, we had all these special effects props that were supposed to be made. And that's when you're doing a sci-fi show, your props are what are important, you know. People want right. to see those cool props. We paid somebody $2,500 to make this stuff, and they didn't come through, not with one. They had one prop that was uh, 25% finished, and I finished it. So I tore all of the electronics apart in my house, everything I had to sort of create enough of the props that we needed to get through the first six episodes. And then 
on the second se- session, I had a lot more time to develop the rest of the props that we have. So we have some really cool looking props and, you know, um, that was a hard hit that we took. And that was, that happened literally two to three days before we were ready to shoot. So my business partner is, is on his heels now. He can't believe this. We're spinning, you know, uh, we're putting a 20, 24 hour shifts in, in the garage, in my garage, trying to build something out of anything we can find that looks halfway decent. So we don't look like idiots when, when this thing airs. Um, and the, I, I had to grab him at some point and go, look, we are all in. There's, there's, no, there's no giving up. We have to finish this. You have to continue forward. It, it, yes, we're going to fail, but I've already spent X amount of dollars. So there's something that we can get from the failing, and that's at least learning how to do this. Uh, we might as well. We're already here. We've got everybody scheduled. Let's do it. And it, we were able to get through it. We were able to hold it together just barely so that the lessons we learned from that first shoot, we applied to the second shoot, the second shooting session, and that, that came off so well. And I think we've got a good product because of that, because we stuck to it. We didn't just give up. Right. And that's a big lesson. Get started stuff Mm -hmm. and there will be failures and there'll be disappointments and frustrations, but you just got to push through. I still expect this series to go, to go through, to to fail, you know, and that, that's Mm -hmm. my anticipation. You, You can't, you know, and I know that when it does, I have to pick my ass up off the ground, get back up on the horse and do another one. But so far, I'm very happy with how, with how it's coming out. And, you know, we just might get, get lucky, and, and it does better than we anticipate. Yeah, I, I'm really excited for you. I think it's really cool, and uh, I, I'm really interested to see uh, an episode when, you know, whenever it comes out in whatever uh, medium, whether it's the actual you know, terrestrial TV or, or the web. So, you know, it's, it's exciting. It's really exciting. Well, thank um, you very much. I, I wanted to um, ask you something because we didn't get a chance to talk about it. You are, Dan, you are the Quantum Ranger. <laughs> and for people who don't know, the Power Rangers are like one of the most successful kids or, you know, TV shows of all time. It's gone on for years. And 15, year, 15 years in the United States and since the 70s in Japan. Which is I amazing. Think even in the 60s, yeah. And you somehow became the Quantum Ranger, which I think is the coolest part ever created for the show because you weren't just like one of the goody two shoes rangers. You were this kind of like a vigilante type. You were you were a good guy underneath, but you were a little bit out for yourself, or you were a little bit like a lone wolf. You were going to do things your own way, right? And so, is that the story? Is that is that what it was? Well, so each season of Power Rangers has a, a new incarnation, and they hire uh-huh. a new cats to do that. And but there's still a formula in place. There's all the five rangers. Red is the leader, and then there's a sixth guy that comes along who's always kind of aloof and causes a conflict with the leader, and that's either the White Ranger or they'll change him to the Gold Ranger or the Green Ranger. And my year, he was also a Red Ranger. So okay. it's the But also, in my season, my incarnation, uh, the incarnation I was involved in, uh, which was in 2000, it was called Time Force. They were time cops from the future. The Pink Ranger was actually the leader of the group. And the Red Ranger was uh, an ancestor that they go back in time. Her husband, it's a very, it's actually a lot more grown up than the rest of the plots. Her husband from the future dies. So she chases the criminal back in time who killed him and falls in love with his great, 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 great grandfather, you know, thousands of years before. (laughs) And which is in the 21st (laughs) century. And he becomes the Red Ranger. I'm his buddy. I steal the powers for the Quantum Ranger somehow because I, I work at a, 
paramilitary sort of police uh, force, which later actually does become Time Force. <laughs> okay. So there's a, there's a few time paradoxes that go on there. And it was the first year they did a lot of stuff like that. They hired uh, actors who actually have experience as actors instead of just young kids that were kind of green. And they, uh, they spent a lot more money. I think they were spending almost a million dollars an episode. Good and it, God. Was, oh. it was a union show. So it was a much more grown-up show. Um, it made, did 33% more sales and merchandising than all of the other shows, except for the three-year phenomenon that was Power Rangers. And then right. Disney took over and went, no, it's just not kiddy enough. So they <laughs> brought, they, brought it down. In the, in the subsequent incarnations, they, they, they brought it back to, uh, to whatever yeah. uh, sort of age group they were, they were focused on. Yeah, it's it's what's really cool, Justin, is as Dan being the Quantum Ranger. I mean, Colby has met Dan. Like we've worked out. I brought Colby along to the gym with me, where <laughs> Mitchell and Dan and some of the other stunt guys will do like their 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 martial arts slash gymnastics training, and, and uh, you know, back, and, and they're teaching Colby how to do backflips and front flips and all this kind of stuff. And so Colby knows Dan, and then but Colby becomes a huge fan of the of the Power Rangers, you know, watching you know show after show, and he's watching Dan as the Quantum Ranger. So it's like I'm personal friends with Batman or something. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, it, it is was. like really. But he probably doesn't quite know where real life starts and ends. Right. <laughs> yeah, it is. I, it's a little confusing for a six. I think it was about six when that was going on. A six-year-old. Yeah. It was. It was a lot of fun to work on. And you know, if I if I got offered a chance to do it again, I would do it. It was a great crew, cast and crew to work with. We had a great time. It was a lot of fun. Got to run around like I was Jackie Chan or Jet Li or something like that for a year. You know, I got to do my own action because I was a stunt guy before I was hired as the actor. Right. And, right. Uh, it was a lot of awesome. fun. Yeah, man. Well, it was awesome to have you on the show, Dan. Uh, hey, thanks. Yeah, really awesome. It's always awesome. a pleasure hanging awesome. out. We're going to have to have another of those big... We well, had a get-together. We're not that long ago in Chinatown. We're going to do that again. We've got we to do it again. And also, you know, if the show comes out and it's a hit, we'll, we'll, do, we'll do another show. Oh, yeah. That'd be great. Get you on and talk about... Maybe get your uh, partner on and he can get a little technical with us. Yeah, and, yeah. He can, get, he can get technical with you guys. You guys will enjoy talking to Douglas. He's a, he's a great guy. We can get our geek on. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Dan, best of luck with you with the series. We'll uh, keep us posted on how it's going. And uh, yeah. Oh, what on. is divergence.com? Go to what is divergence.com. What is divergence? What is divergence? Okay, we don't have time for that. Okay, uh, you have to watch the show <laughs> to find out. Okay. <laughs> you have to watch the show to find out. Yeah, exactly. All right. That's a wrap. Bye, guys. Take care. Bye.